What's up, strength coaches? We have another Research Tuesday for you. Greg Lutton and myself, Justin Lima. The article we're going to talk about today is the effect of palm cooling on physiological and metabolic responses during exercise performance. Now, the reason that this article was interesting to me is shout out to Jesse Swain, my former um, kickboxing coach, where he talked about he found some research out there and, and heard that putting a towel over your head or athlete's shoulders when you're hot is actually one of the worst things for you because the blood that immediately gets up to the brain is now cool because of the towel on you. And now your brain is like, Hey body, you're not that hot. I'm getting cold blood. Like that was the Genesis of why that was interesting to me. How about you, Greg? I remember you and I were texting and you said like, this is interesting to you for a couple other reasons. So there's a towel that people make. I think it's called like the snap towel or something and you dip it in water and I used to use this like in my race suits uh, when I race motorcycles and I'd put it on my neck and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And my neck would be cool and my head would be cool. But like the rest of my body was still really hot and I was still slow and sluggish. And then, you know, during my studies, uh, I found that the, you know, you have a blood brain barrier, right? And so like certain substrates, certain vitamins, they don't make it past or certain like maybe they do make it pass or they don't. It's very specific what makes it pass that blood brain barrier. And, you know, like when you look at people who have super high temperatures, what are they doing with their bodies? They're putting them in ice baths. It's a total body cold immersion, right? It's not just the head, the cerebral. I get it that the cerebral, if you swell, um, I think that's called edema when your brain swells. I think so too, yeah. The fluid swells and that can cause permanent brain damage. So I can get that. I can understand that, that you would want to cool the brain, but remember the circulatory pump of the body is the heart, right? And so if it's the heart, what, you know, have you ever felt it when you jumped into a super cold pool, right? Some people have had heart attacks from that. Yeah. I've heard about that. My father-in-law was like, he's, that's half the reason why he says he doesn't want to do uh, the cold plunge at my house because <laughs> he's got um, arrhythmia. Yeah. So, I mean, why would you do that? But, you know, this is interesting. You brought up this thing where it's an article and they're saying cooling of the palms, you know, and I mentioned cooling of the feet. And so one of yes, the Yes, and that's what Jesse mentioned too. Sorry to interrupt, but yes, keep going. Yeah. No, 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 go ahead and interrupt. I mean, the thing is, is with the cooling of the feet. So like after running, I like to cool my feet. I like to put them in like ice water and I get a total body shiver and I'm cool within maybe 90 seconds. And the reason for that is because you're talking about, you know, let's go to our terms, proximal and distal, right? Amen. Yep. You have distal blood flow and the return of that blood flow is going back to your heart. And if you take that from the distal appendages, your hands and your feet, they're the farthest out there. And if those are being cooled and that blood flow is being pulled back into the body, it's cooling along the way. Thus, possibly, I mean, I don't, I'm like, I'm not a cardiologist like that. So I wouldn't know um, the actual effects, but like that cooling effect seems like by the time it gets back to the heart, you know, you've cooled the periphery. Whereas if you start it just at the heart, right, or just at the brain, the rest of the body's not getting cool. Because one of the things we all know, well, maybe we don't all know this, but uh, in neuroscience, what we learned was everything starts in the brain, right? Like nerve yep. development, it starts in, you know, when you go to the two hemispheres, 
right? And those nerves and the spinal, it's like the spinal cord and the, those bundles, they start going and they start moving from that central nervous system to the peripheral nervous system. So if you have something that you're cooling the origin, it could be sending signals like, hey, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool. But in actuality, you're not. And I think the other uh, topic that we talked about was, uh, what was it? Thermal fluid dynamics, you know, like that's, that's a real thing. So thermal fluid dynamics, I mean, your body is a hydraulic, your heart is a hydraulic pump. It's pumping, pumping, pumping your veins. They have, there's a PSI in there that we don't call it PSI. We call it <laughs> systolic and diastolic. Right. And so it's pumping, pumping, pumping. But if you take just the basic concept of like pipes and hydraulics and heat transfer, what happens in your car when it gets too hot? Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. It overheats. It, I mean, the, the engine shuts off. Like if it gets too hot, the engine shuts right. off and you can't keep driving. You start losing performance. It starts to overheat. So what did people do in race cars and even consumer cars? You have a radiator in the front. has yeah, cooling coolant. fluid. Yeah. And where is that? That's in the front and it's pumping it to the mechanical components. In some race vehicles, you have intercoolers for oil, right? My giant, huge truck when I raced motorcycles had a transmission cooler. You know, and so why are they cooling these things? And they're cooling them at the places that are doing the work. They're not cooling it in like the nerve center or the interior interior of the car. They're cooling it at the places that are doing the work. And so I guess the question is, if you're going to do palm cooling or peripheral cooling, uh, is that, you know, how effective is that? Is that increasing performance? And I think, I mean, I, I, I remember there was, I want to say there was a study that like, they cooled or they let you swish cold water in your mouth and then go run again between intervals. And so it was like people who had tepid water. I don't know. I may be quoting something that like I've imagined, but I think this was, yeah, real. we can look it up on that one too. Yeah. But I, but I think they swished uh, cold water in their mouth and then ran and then swished tepid water, warm water, lukewarm water. And they wanted to see the difference. And I think there was uh, a significant difference. By yeah, using, we'll, we'll, we'll probably pull that one as, a, as another secondary thing to, to – because there was a bunch in here from these research articles or this research article where, uh, you know, I went back to the references and, you know, had looked at these because the way that this article went was they had like – for performance, it was bench press, right? And you were talking about a lot of harder, more physical things like, okay, I'm going to go and, you know, right. doing a race, and, and, but like just right. bench pressing and then cooling your palms down because the way they did it, <clears throat> if we go over to our subjects, so it talked about again, using G power to figure out how many people, but there was 12 subjects. They were healthy male volunteers um, and they were around the age of 23 they had to be eligible. They were recruited from the local university gym. Um, they had training experience of, you know, five years, two to five years. So about three year minimum. Um, and they were between the ages of 18 and 37. And what they did is they came in over four days separated and they were doing some 
bench press max uh, over the first couple sets, or excuse me, first session to establish their one RM. But what they were doing to use palm coin to find out if it had any effect of it was the fact that they were doing, again, bench press and it was doing concentric down and concentric up on the bench press. So as you know, two second down, two seconds up with 80% for maximal reps in each set. And to me, just hearing that, it's like how tired, yes, bench press is tiring. And anybody that's going to hit, listen to this and be like, what do you mean benching isn't tiring? Listen, you can tell me a set of eight on bench is tiring, but even if you did a set of eight on rear, uh, reverse lunge, it's a different movement. I feel like the way to make this better would have been if it was actually done on like even a cycle or, uh, ergometer, right? Like put them on and do like a Watt bike test or something. I think, I mean, that's, that's one of the issues in reading this. Um, and, and we can just jump right to it. The results of this were cooling cannot be currently recommended as an ergogenic strategy to enhance acute bench press performance or mitigate fatigue during high intensity resistance training. Unfortunately, I don't think there's enough evidence to draw that conclusion. Uh, and the reason for that is there is a vast difference. Yes. Let's, let's just clarify that bench press bench press. I mean, like, is that, are we going to call that a compound motion? I guess we would, it's not a single joint. It's multiple joints, shoulder joint, elbow joint, possibly even your wrist. Yeah. And it's not like you're going to squeak out an extra rep on a bench versus like a squat or a deadlift, right? But the squat, but, but, you know, the difference in single joint versus compound localized muscle fatigue, right? And so are you raising the temperature of the body? That's one of the things like, in, that's in, a good point. That's a good point. Did they, you know, did they test that? One of the things that we're doing for uh, an internal study at our training facility is we want to see your temperature pre and post to see like, cause as an endurance athlete, and I want to say anaerobic endurance, because some of the stuff that we're doing, it's only like high bouts between switching. We want to see what your temperature is because temperature and cooling people have an optimum temperature range that they want to train within, right? Like what's yours? What do you, what do you like to train in hot, cold? Uh, I, I like to start off, like, honestly, I start off, I want to get a good sweat and then I can kind of maintain it. I mean, I can kind of make whatever work because like in jits, it starts off kind of cold in kickboxing class. Usually you're kind of drenched when I'm lifting weights, I guess I'd rather stay hot. I don't want the fan blowing on me and like cooling me down. Like, fuck it. If I'm hot, I'm hot. Let's just stay hot. Right. Some people like my wife, she can't stand it hot. She's like, she needs it to be this climate controlled. <laughs> northern british temperature where everything's just cold right because she's going to generate so much heat and i think that that's something the thermogenic effects understanding that you know thermogenesis is a real like you're moving you're creating heat and you have to cool that off her internal temperature regulation is out of control um and i i don't know if that's like a symptom of something she could just be mad at me but you know the 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 big thing is it's how do you modulate and how do you find, you know, something where it's a, it's a temperature that people are comfortable with. And so I think one of the, the weaknesses, if we were going to, you know, call out some of the weaknesses of this was the fact that they, did they take palm temperatures? Yeah, they were taking, so they had palm temperature, um, you know, 
<clears throat> under the results, percentage change in palm temperature showed main what effects about? of time, temperature and time intersection, post-hoc analysis, palm temperature during the thermo neutral condition was significantly, significantly higher. So palm temperature was higher, but well, to your point, like, okay, what is, you know, what is each person's ideal temperature when they're training? But again, like the, you brought up a really good point. Like how hot do you really get doing one set of bench press that you need to get cooled back down in order to perform right. again versus like what Jesse was talking about with his athletes that are doing kickboxing, you're doing a, you know, maybe if you're um, an amateur, a two minute round is a freaking long time, especially if you only have a minute off or if you have three minutes, you're going all out. And then rather than in your corner, putting it down on you or like with football, you see guys during camp, they put the towel over their head. And he's like, hey, you should be putting it around their wrists and around their ankles. Yes. And I think that that's where it's like, okay, if we're going to, if we redo this study, because looking at the references, there's one here from Chai et al. in 2021 that talked about the effect of acute interset foot cooling on lower limb strength. Then there's two from uh, Quant et al., two different ones, one in 2015, one in 2010 that talked about palm cooling and heating um, affecting women positively and, um, having a positive effect on bench press. What I would do for future research is I would take, okay, we're going to palm cool, but we would also have like, you'd have your control group that didn't do either. You would have, um, I wouldn't even have it palm cooling. I would have it like wrist cooling. I would then have ankle cooling. And then I would have like your quote unquote traditional. Because rather than what these are doing is it's like 10, de 10 degrees Celsius cooling. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. Um, 15 degrees Celsius cooling. And rather than just the different cold temperatures, I'd pick one of the two, probably go in the middle, call it 12, and then go 12 degrees on the wrist, 12 degrees on the ankles, 12 degrees up at the head, and then see which is improved on like cycle ergometer. And you can set it to a watt bike protocol of like three minutes on um, at maximal-ish exertion. Or you could do a Tabata protocol because that's easy to kind of administer, right? Yep. Well, and here's here's another thing that I would add to this. This is why I love doing this. I would take the ambient room temperature and I would take the ambient uh, body temperature. And we would have to agree like pre and post, you're saying? Correct. Right. So like uh, ambient room temperature, then take the pre temperature of the athlete, then take the post temperature, then administer the protocol and then take another post temperature to see. Because remember what I said about um, uh, the, uh, when I gave blood, right? So I gave blood and it was whole blood and they strip out the uh, plasma. They keep all the red blood cells and they strip the plasma out and they pump it back into you. So I had two needles, it was one needle, but it was like, I think it was two needles. Mm -hmm. I remember how they did it. I don't know. I don't, I don't look at that. They were just like, your blood's really good. Let's go. Um, and, and you're like, heck yeah, let me save some lives. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the thing that happens is when your blood comes out, it's going through the ambient room temperature. We're at the fire department's uh, blood drive and it was really cold in there. 
And so the, my blood's going through this thing, then it goes to a machine that separates it out. The plasma goes back into this other bag, which is sitting there, and then it gets pumped back into my body. So my plasma, I guess, blood, the fluids, whatever, have been outside of my body, and I've been sitting there. I mean, I think I sat there for 45 minutes while they did this. It drained a lot. I mean, I was tired for three days from this stuff, right? And I felt uh, oddly drunk, but when they pumped it back in, all of a sudden, I felt this huge, I mean, I started freezing, right? And it's because that temperature, it drops like whatever, it's 98.6 coming out of you. And an ambient room temperature was say 68. I don't know how, what the temperature was, but that's a temperature differential. When that blood went back into my body, I could feel where that plasma was going in my That's body. not to mention if there's any saline in there too, right? Uh, I think it's just plasma. Okay. Honestly, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know the technology behind that, but the thing is, is what, you know, the, you could feel it because all of a sudden I was like, my ears really cold. And she was like, oh yeah, that's just the plasma. And that's where it's going. You know, like it's where it's getting pumped back into your body. And I was like, <laughs> it doesn't I, feel right. <laughs> no, it felt really weird. My arm, like my whole arm felt cold. I wonder if it anybody made, listening is going, had that happen too, you know? Maybe. But the thing is, is what it made me realize was like, that's like an intercooler for a race car. So if there was something yeah. that, you know, and I'm not saying we hook ourselves up to uh, <laughs> you know, blood coolers, but I mean, that's what a, 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 a dialysis, dialysis? is. Yeah. yeah, it takes stuff out and it pumps it back in and people get that. Uh, I have a friend who's a dia dialysis technician. Um, that's his job. He just hooks people up to that. Um, but the interesting component of that though, is you're literally taking stuff out, pumping it back in. And I was shivering towards the end of it. I was literally like the kind of shiver that you get when you've been in the pool too long and it's cold and it's windy and you're like, that kind of shiver. So I think next time I do this, cause I, I, you can, you can then only give blood every three months. I think next time I'll take my ambient temperature from like a temple. That's another thing. I mean, what's, what's the approved way to take temperatures? Rectal. If it, I mean, honestly, like if you talk about it, like that's part of the reason why anytime that you had an athlete suspected of heat stroke and any of our strength coaches listening right now that have gone through their EAP with their athletic trainer, either annually or biannually, you know that it's rectal. And if there, if you have a suspected heat illness, that's the only acceptable way. So it's rectal is your quote unquote gold standard, which is why so many people got mad during COVID that it was these temporal ones when athletes are outside and we're going down a rabbit hole, but that would be your quote unquote gold right. standard. Then you'd have to find out like, okay, what's next best. Is it the one that rubs against the head that just goes near the forehead or in the mouth? What about the one that was like on your neck? Neck or armpit is what I've heard as well, but that's where you'd have to find like what it, I mean, call rectal the uh, force plate in terms of the gold standard. What's the G flight for mouth, right? It, mouth or armpit of temperature. Right. Well, that brings up another question then, right? So if they're saying that palm cooling, the, this is going to be shots fired. Here we go. If palm cooling didn't work, why do people do cryotubes? What do you mean cryo? What are, um, you know, well, cause they're saying it didn't, it didn't affect performance on the bench press compared to not doing it. But again, I feel like it's almost like saying, okay, Hey, 
when, if there's not a big enough of a distance. So when I did my dissertation, we only had a 10 yard dash and okay. There's not enough variance within 10 yard meter dash, whatever, for there to be like statistically significant. And that's where it's like, okay, future research, it should be 20 meters or, you know, 30 meters. So there can truly be more change score variance. How much repetition variance are you going to get on a bench press movement at 80% with all that control down? Maybe it went from eight to two or because like to say point point in a rep, upper body, lower body, that, that don't count. So that's why I'm just like, right. if you could truly do right. it with that test we did last week where it's measuring on the watt bike or whatnot, you can measure complete power outage in the set. And it's just like, that's where it could be a better design test or yeah, study. It could, it could be. The, my, I guess my point is if they found that topical application at a distal appendage had no effect on performance, and we're also saying that possibly the test was skewed or maybe the, not the appropriate test, then where is the justification for topical cooling, total body cooling, for people who just go and stand in a cryo tube who didn't do any activity, right? That's my question. Yeah, because know. you have a lot of people who are like, yeah, I have a cryo tube. I run a cryo tube business. And it's like, okay, well, where's, where's the science behind that? Because the cold water immersion, that's been proven. Contrast immersion, hot water, cold water, that's been proven, right? Where's this topical thing? Because if the topical didn't work in palms for a bench press because people weren't hot enough, then is that invalidating cryo tubes? The world will never know. Exactly. But people will still pay to go do it because it looks <clears> cool <throat> on social media. Ooh, what if we, oh, what about this? I just opened up. I'm like, all right, let's pick our next article right here while we're on it. And <laughs> this just came up with menstrual cycle and load velocity relationship. We're going to skip that one. How about this one? How does this one sound here? That's we got, legit, though, bro. I mean, yeah, I'm going to skip that one. We got load time and load speed relationship in the resisted sled sprint exercise. What independent variable most accurately determines the relative load? And this is something, folks, that you could do with a G-sprint, isn't it? Yeah, you you could. We've done this. We've so done that's this why that's going to be our next Research Tuesday article, everybody. We're going to do load time and load speed relationship in the resisted sled sprint exercise. This is from Jimenez Lozano et al. And this is in the most recent uh, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research from the NSCA. This thing came out in uh, 2023. So it's it's recent. It's new. What was, what was the other one? The uh, sprint load velocities. And so we did that. And I had an interesting finding, and we talked about it next week. But the thing is, is you also have to take into consideration body mass. And that's where there's another article actually behind it talking about um, effective maturation and speed development because body mass will continue to change over the course of an individual cycle. So this concludes Tuesday, November 14th, Research Tuesday. Y'all have a great rest of the day. Greg and Justin, we out.